0: This picture, which is meant to be of Jesus praying, is to focus our attention on what uh, our theme will be through the spring term, which is about Jesus' own spiritual life. Uh, Most of us were around in early September when Roy and Daphne Godwin were with us, and Roy brought a word on the back of Helen Hitwell's prophetic word to us about waking up spiritually. And that's something that has been going on over the last few months. Roy said, and it was God's word to us, that we had been sleepwalking spiritually. Doing the stuff, active, caring for people, speaking. And yet somehow, without that spiritual sensitivity, that just should be natural to us as Christians, who are walking hand in hand through life with Jesus In the power of the Holy Spirit. And right across uh, our family as a church, we've recognized the truth of that. And it's just been delightful to see uh, lots of new prayer springing up and a hunger for God being spoken. I think particularly at our Sunday evening outbreak meetings, there's just been a different dynamic. There's been uh, a much more intense seeking after the presence of God. And we've met with him. And it's been wonderful, but it's not like that's all done. There is much more for us still to discover. And uh, so we're going to be looking at John's Gospel as we go through the spring term. But the theme that's going to come out again and again is really to do with Jesus' relationship with the Father. And Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit and what we can learn about that for our own spiritual lives. So we're going to be sticking on that theme, but also just going through the book of John, or at least a good chunk of it, and seeing what the Word of God has to teach us and equip us with. So we've already read from the beginning of the Gospel, but we're going to go back there again. If you have a Bible uh, or some electronic device appropriately equipped... Please turn to the beginning of John's Gospel. And I'm actually going to read uh, to the end of verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, there we go. and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not grasped it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him... and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, uh, like all good introductions, John's introduction to his gospel brings up themes that will come up again and again and again throughout the book. And I was tremendously helped by Jeremy speaking last Sunday. He had the theme of adoring Christ, but was led, I believe, by the Spirit of God to get here to John 1 and do a good chunk of my sermon for me a week in advance, for which I'm hugely grateful, because he rightly went through these few verses and picked out some of the themes that are found there, which come up again and again throughout the book of John. And here are some of them, that Jesus is the word, the creator, the source of life, and indeed of new life, that Jesus is light. In all four Gospels, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. He is the reconciler, the one who brings us back into relationship with God. He is God with us, come to make his dwelling amongst us, Emmanuel, as the Old Testament said and full of grace and truth. And it's there on that last phrase of Jesus being full of grace and truth that uh, we are going to land this morning. This is the phrase that I felt led to focus on this morning, this phrase, full of grace and truth. Now, some scholars, you might be interested to know, I don't know how interested you are in scholarship this morning, Uh, But anyway, there we are. Some scholars have noted this phrase in the Greek. The Greek phrase that's translated as grace and truth was used again and again to translate a particular Hebrew phrase in the Old Testament. The phrase that the, the NIV, which is the translation that many of us use in English, translates as love and faithfulness. The Hebrew phrase love and faithfulness was often translated or was regularly translated into Greek as grace and truth, as in Famous verse, Exodus 34, when God reveals his nature as the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Uh, But actually, here in John's uh, introduction to his gospel, he deliberately draws a contrast between Moses and what Moses brought, and Jesus And what Jesus brought, Moses brought the law. But what Jesus brought, in distinction from that, was grace and truth. So it won't do just to say that this phrase, grace and truth, is just the same as what was revealed in the Old Testament. There's more to be found. What does grace mean? And what does truth mean? Well, they're both really quite simple ideas. Profound and, you know, just bucket loads of, of content in both of them, but really simple ideas. Grace is really about things that make us happy. It's where the, the root of the word comes from. Things that bring joy are seen as grace. And in particular, the kindness of God. God's kindness towards us. When he does things for us that he need not do, he's not compelled He's not required. No one's going to tell him off for not being good enough if he's not kind towards us. But simply out of his love for us, which is utterly unmerited, he is kind towards us in ways that bring us joy. That's what grace is all about. It means, of course, that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us any more than he does already. And there's nothing that we can do To make God love us any less than he does already. His grace towards us is a constant. Whatever we do, good or bad, he will love us just the same. And there's nothing that we can do to change it. And that grace, that consistent faithful love, is expressed towards us. It's not just an abstract kind of thing that floats around in heaven that we'll find find out about one day. God's grace is expressed towards us in kindness that brings us joy. Utterly unmerited favor. And Jesus came as God himself in the flesh, full of grace, abundantly kind, going around and bringing joy. We read uh, in that prayer from Isaiah that that it's the follow-on that from the verses that Jesus quoted at the start of his ministry—that the Spirit of the Lord was on him to do people the world of good in a variety of ways—but that the uh, that mourning would turn to joy. That's what the grace of God does; it makes us happy. I'm looking around this morning and wondering how much grace we've received over. I trust you've received the grace of God afresh over Christmas in the love. Of friends and family in, I trust, some time in reading the scriptures and in prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. (coughs) Receiving the grace of God and smiling as a result because we've received afresh from God. And it's not because of anything we've done, but because of his generosity. There's this other word, truth. Now, for the Greeks to whom John was especially writing... This word truth had a particular meaning. It was about that which was real. I mean, there are all of these shadows of th- sort of half-understood things that we don't quite understand about the world, but lying behind it, somewhere there's a, there's a reality that it's possible to get hold of. The real way things are, the truth, the re- facing up to reality, or we might say you know, getting to the bottom of things, really working out what's going on. Uh, most of us uh, have a slight aversion to the truth about ourselves. On Thursday, we were at... Um, Be- Bev and her, Bev's sister and her husband had bought a lovely uh, new cottage. It's not new, it's about 300 years old. It's very nice. And we were there on Thursday, and Bev's father had... Uh, already, since Christmas day, taken the videos that he 'd taken of us opening presents on Christmas Day and already turned them into a video presentation. And was very keen that we all watch it together there in, in, the, in the cottage, which we did part of. It was really interesting. as soon as different family members appeared on the TV screen, you can imagine what started i didn 't realize I looked like that. One person said, i don 't like the sound of my voice at all. It sounds fat." Uh, I don't think any adult present was happy. Uh, it is one of those painful things um, listening to your voice. I always think I sound like a right girl when I hear my own voice being played back to me, and I, I can't do much about it except speak a bit lower, maybe. But um, we all live—we all live with the comfort of a certain tissue of illusion about ourselves, don't we? Um, we're not quite sure that we want the reality of who we are to be known by others. And we don't even allow ourselves to quite believe the reality of who we are ourselves. So these two things, grace coming to us and truth, well, the truth about God, the truth about the world, the truth about ourselves. Uh, these two things, grace and truth, often seem to clash Uh, When we do well and are told so, uh, we're told the truth about ourselves that we've done well. We receive the truth. uh, But then any praise that we get, any joy that we get, it's like we earned that. And so how does that fit with grace? Truth about good people, how does that fit with grace? When we fail and we're told so, it doesn't feel very nice at all. So how does that fit with grace? Truth and grace often seem to be opposed to each other. Have I hope I've got the right thing coming up here. There we go. Okay. I'd like to suggest that grace alone makes us lazy. That if we only ever think about what God will, what God, blah, 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 what blessing—that's the word—what blessing. God will pour upon us, irrespective of what we do, there is a bit of a tendency for us to get a bit lazy about it and to become simply, or (laughs) to continue simply as consumers. It's probably a bit unfair putting this up with the chocolates and things just after Christmas. (laughs) Because all of us have probably spent more time sat on a sofa with chocolates in the last week than in the previous six months put together. So I, ho- I hope you don't feel like I'm getting anyone, But grace alone isn't the full picture. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Uh, truth alone, I'd like to suggest that truth alone, I was thinking, this is the picture I have in mind of some wonderful opera singer singing a perfect note, which is incredible, and beautiful in its own way, but it has the effect of shattering brittle things. It sort of hits their resonant frequency and so on. Uh, actually, as a slight aside here, this thing about truth alone shattering things, um, being a bit shrill in its tone, just as an aside, uh, it's about the school, it's about Tyndale, and thinking about Christian heritage in our nation, um, and when we were praying for the nation in our group, um, there was um, Peter was rightly praying uh, for the heritage that we have to be, to be and the Christian Institute to, uh, and others to play their part in holding up Christian standards and values. Uh, there is a danger in all of that that unless we get out there in the world serving in the name of Christ as well. And showing his grace that the truth that we speak, true though it is, could sound a bit shrill to people. And uh, we're hugely grateful for the Christian heritage that we have in this nation. But the heritage that we have grew up over many centuries. It started out as little seeds of gospel truth which grew, which germinated which grew and blossomed into schools and hospitals and uh, societies to care for widows and orphans and all of these different expressions of God's love. And the, the church's influence in society grew in that way to become like a mighty oak. That's how the Christian heritage of this nation arose and developed as the fully orbed gospel came not only as words spoken in truth but actions of grace as well that people came to rely upon now it seems to me that there are some bits of Christian institution in our nation where the structure remains but the life flow of grace is a bit thin and uh, on the one hand, we want to save and protect those f- now fragile institutions because they, they've become brittle. They're still speaking the truth, but the life's not there in the same way. We want to save that which is still good. But alongside that, please God, let us see some new institutions growing up which are full of the life of God. Institutions where the spirit of God is pleased to dwell and bring his freedom to people. Uh, That was a bit of an aside. Grace without truth, grace alone can be lazy. Truth alone can be shrill. Jesus came full of grace and truth. We receive grace from Jesus. We receive grace from Jesus. Grace that forgives. Grace that redeems. Grace that empowers us. Uh, We hear truth from Jesus as well. Truth about God. Truth about the world. Truth about ourselves. And uh, we often want... Grace for ourselves and truth for others. Have you noticed that? We're often a bit galled if truth is spoken to us and others get the grace and favour. And so this matter of grace and truth is not actually as tidy as all of that. I'd like to turn later in John's Gospel to a story which helps us see Jesus full of grace and truth. But of course it's in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 and from verse 2. It says that Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Uh, of course, I mean, I guess we all recognize this. But just in case anyone's not quite noticed Uh, It takes two to commit adultery. If they caught a woman in adultery, there must have been a bloke as well. So they bring her alone. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. It's like they knew that they'd set things up quite unjustly, that she would be stoned and he wouldn't be. I mean, people have even speculated that they sent one of their number in or they paid someone, some man, to go in to be with her so that there would be a basis for accusing this woman. And of seems most unfair that having been set up in some way, she should be exposed in this way. They were expecting Jesus to experience this as a conundrum. And uh, anyway, it says that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That Jesus is presented with this conundrum. Will he show grace and let her off? Or will he speak truth and see her condemned? And I think in this story, as much as in any story, we see the divinity of Christ, the divine wisdom that shows both grace and truth. And sometimes we're left wondering, how do you square the need to establish standards with the need to include people? How do you call people up to something that is right, because God desires truth in our inmost parts. How do you speak that? And at the same time, people experience grace rather than accusation. It's a question that we still face today and will face again and again. If we have any kind of responsibility for other people whether as parents or youth leaders or managers or teachers, if any sort of responsibility for others, this is a question that's going to come up pretty often in our lives. How do we do truth and grace? And what we see is that Jesus doesn't just have some sort of manual of, here's the tips and tricks, this is how you do it. But there's a word that comes from God. a, A word from heaven, a wise word that speaks right in. And uh, it reminds us that we need to live in a, in a flow of life from the Spirit. If we're to live lives of grace and truth, we can, only do, we can only do it by the Spirit at work in us. And I hope that looking at just briefly at this phrase grace and truth draws us back and says we've got to live life in relationship with this Jesus. There's no other way that we can be like him and look like him. We have the privilege of being people of grace and truth. You know, as we worship um, yeah, we'll do that. As we worship Give our hearts afresh to Jesus as the Queen has suggested we do. As we pray and we bring our needs before Jesus as we must, as we read the Bible and take in the truth that's in it, as we do all of those things, worship and pray and read the scriptures, we receive grace and truth. From God. And the promise of Scripture is that we will keep receiving those things grace and truth, spiritual blessings until we overflow. It's not like there's just going to be a little tiny portion. There's your grace, keep you going for another 15 minutes. Here's a little bit of truth, just enough to stop you doing anything too stupid. The Christian life is one in which grace and truth flow into us in abundance more than enough, bringing us joy and righteousness in the inner parts. Still, and I'm about to finish with a simple question, uh, most of us have a tendency to prefer one or the other. Some of us are more kind of grace people in that we know our need of God We're very aware of the needs of other people and think a lot about everybody's needs to receive grace. And as I've been speaking about grace and truth, your heart's lifted a bit more when I've talked about grace than when I talked about truth. Other people are a little bit more truth people and are more minded to think that there's not a lot of point doing anything unless you've got your lines in the right place to begin with. I mean, I mean, grace is all very well, but I mean that ought to come in the context of a certain framework and knowing what you're about, and getting things right. So, a little bit of homework with which to finish, if I may, I would like to suggest that in the next few days, all of us find three people that we trust and ask this question: At the moment, am I tending to overflow more with grace? or with truth am I overflowing more with grace or with truth does that question make sense I'm trying to work out whether the squirming is because I've not made sense or because it's an uncomfortable thing to do I think it's the latter and uh, then our prayer should be God would you just grow me in this this isn't about our self effort there is this abundance of grace and abundance of truth that God wants to pour out upon us and give to us. And whatever we lack, God will give us more. Yeah? So in the next few days, who's gonna, I'd just like to know that this is actually going to happen. Uh, in a second, I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand as a kind of, a, yes, I will do that. I'd like to know who in the next few days is going to find three people and say, Just ask the question, I'd really like to know, honestly, do you find that I overflow more in truth or more in grace? Because I'd love to know the the reality of it and grow a bit more. Is anyone up for doing that? Good, I look forward to hearing how that goes. (laughs) Do tell me. Tell me especially, I'd love to hear of anyone who is surprised by what they hear. And let's pray that we grow together as we head into 2013.